Um, at this time, the children ages 3 through 7 may be dismissed to Children's Church. Um, we are going to continue in this study in Genesis as we look at the life of Abram, of Abraham, as we'll get to here shortly. Um, before I pray, I just want to remind us we're looking at him because we're, we're looking at faith. And we're saying that um, his context, some 2000 BC, is a far context from ours. And yet, there's some parallel, and that is uh, we live in this world uh, under God's hand, under his authority, um, and yet we're broken and we're fallen. And so we, we relate to God by faith, um, but we don't really know how to do that very well. And we're frail and we fumble and we falter. And so we need uh, examples like Abram to demonstrate uh, really case studies of what it looks like to live by faith. And some of those case studies are not good studies. They're, they're, they're failures. Uh, and yet we learn from him something about what faith looks like. And even more so, we learn about the unchanging nature and character of God who is consistent throughout history. Um, would you please stand as I read God's word uh, to us? After last week's reading, I couldn't get anybody to volunteer to read for me. Uh, if you were here, you understand. <laughs> read chapter 14 if you were not here, and uh, you will see how, uh, how crazy that was. So just six verses. I can do this, I think. This is the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what, you, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray you would bless it now. As we've read it, God, bless the preacher as he communicates it. God, and would you speak to us in our own context, our own place, and where we are, God, that we might understand something of what it means to have faith in you, Jesus. God, we know we need your help. We invite you, Spirit, to come and to meet us and to use this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Faith. Um, we talk about faith. Let, let's set the context uh, for this. Um, a- Abraham has just defeated the armies of the earth, the kings of the earth last week. Keter Lehrman and Amraphel and all these uh, crazy names. Sounds like something from Tolkien. You know, these great names. And we heard all of them. And, and yet this no-name man named Abram is the one that conquers and defeats them. Um, that happened, and after his defeat, uh, or after his victory, as he rescued his nephew Lot and brought him back down, he, um, he's offered two options. He's offered a, 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 the, the, the spoils from war by the wicked king of Sodom. You may have this. And Abram wisely says no. And he's offered a blessing by this priest-king figure, Melchizedek, who offers him blessing. And Abram receives the blessing of Melchizedek. That, that just ends chapter 14, and it's interesting because chapter 15 starts kind of interesting. 
It starts with this assurance to Abram in a vision. It says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. It's kind of weird. Uh, it seemed like, uh, turn to the next slide. There's the verse I just read. Verse, it seems like things were going well, right? He just had this great military victory. He just got blessed by Melchizedek and, and, and all these great promises. And yet, immediately, chapter 15 starts with the Lord reassuring him of something. And you think, well, what's that about? What's going on? I think there are two reasons for that. One, what happens after an army defeats... Uh, what happens after you lose a battle in, in, in an army, in, in, victory, in, in, in a battle? What happens in war? Uh, what does uh, one gang do after they've been violated by another gang? They retaliate, right? That's what happens. You retaliate. You... Keter Lehrman and the, the kings of the earth have been defeated, and they're no doubt regrouping and gathering to come and to, to fight again. And so Abram is given this reassurance. He says, fear not. I am your shield. What a great word. The Lord comes to him in vision. He knows uh, it's coming. Revenge is going to be sought. I want you to know, fear not. I'm your shield. The second thing, Abram rightly refuses the spoils, the plunder of war from the wicked king. He says, no, I'm not going to take them. A great act of faith. And yet Abram's still wondering in his mind, what, what about this great blessing? <laughs> I was promised uh, a great nation, a great seed, a great land. Uh, where are those things? Will those things happen? Will those things come true? And so the Lord reassures him. He says, fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Do you see that? The, the Lord anticipates, he knows the mind and speaks in the two places of his fear. His fear of, of physical harm from retaliation and his fear of, are the promises going to come true? It's really the graciousness of God to speak to him, to know him. But, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> thanks for the promises, thanks for the reassurance, but it's not going to be that easy for Abram. We're going to look at here uh, how Abram responds and how the Lord then responds countering to that. And we want to learn about faith because this pattern, this process we see Abram on is really very similar to a process we take. And so let's look at it. What do we learn about Abram, his faith? You saw verse 1, these words of God uh, pr proactively reassuring him. And then verse 2 and 3, Abram says, but. <laughs> it's a word of contrast. But Abram said, O Lord God... What will you give me? For I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said again, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and I and a member of my household will be my heir. Thanks for the promise, but <laughs> I'm getting old, and uh, you made the promise. You're reassuring me of the promise. But there ain't no kid, there ain't no child. And, and in those days, to be uh, childless was devastating. There's, there's no heir, there's no inheritance to pass down. There's no land to give. There's no one to take care of you when you get old. There's no one to bury you when you die. And so here, Abram's taken upon himself to find an heir in his household. It, 
We don't know this name. This name's not used again. It's probably some distant relative that had some relationship with Abram. And so he has said, I'll pass it on to you, Eliezer of Damascus. I'm going to give it to you. He says, uh, how's this going to work? <laughs> Thanks for the promise, but uh, time's passed since chapter 12 where you promised it and you haven't done what you said you were going to do. See, that's the challenge of faith. It's, it's not that we often will believe. Maybe you came to Christ in high school or in college and you had this burning zeal and passion. Do you remember that day where you were on fire? There was this zeal for the Lord. But then what happened? Time happened, right? <laughs> time just sort of like you know the, the beaches just kind of eroded away you know and life happened and struggle happened and difficulty happened and you find yourself way over here and you're like where's the, where's my faith where I, I was zealous and passionate here but times happened and, and the, it hasn't really gone my way and the prom are the promises true I, I hear your word but are they true for me that's what Abram what Abram's doing, it, it's easy, it's fairly easy to believe at first, but it's hard to continue in belief. So Abram questions. He questions God. But, Lord God, what will you give me for I'm childless? <laughs> Is it right for him to question God like that? Is it right for him to complain and to argue with God? I mean, he's God. Do you think it's appropriate? I think, it's, I think it's appropriate. I think it's very appropriate. And, and that's the first thing. The first thing I want you to see here is, is the honesty of faith. The honesty of faith. I, I want to suggest it's appropriate. It's, it's the honest thing to do as he's uh, trusted in Jesus. See, tr- see true faith um, is not without the absence of wrestling with God. To have faith doesn't mean we don't wrestle, or in the South, wrestle, right? We wrestle with God. True faith wrestles with God in the promises of God. One of the things I think makes our faith hard today, Christianity in the 21st century in America, is the sort of easy belief, believism faith. I call it like Power 88 faith or Joy FM faith, you know what I mean? Those are Christian radio stations if you don't know, and they play many good songs. Some of them we sing. Um, so I'm not categorically against it. Um, but if you listen to the commentary between songs, have you listened to it? it it's filled with trivialities. It's sentimentality. It's like, a, it's like the Hallmark Channel for Christians, you know. It's just sort of soupy and sappy and everything's great, and everything's wonderful, and then somebody calls and something is bad, and it's still somehow turned to have this silver lining, and everything's okay and great and wonderful. Um, and it's, I think it's well intended, but that's not Abrahamic faith. That's not the faith of the Bible. The faith of the Bible is like digging the dirt, raw, gritty kind of faith that says, I'm willing to wrestle I'm willing to, to, to look at the Lord like Jacob wrestles and to, to, to sort of go to war with him and battle over my life where I see the struggle and the promise and the difficulty. It's not cliche. It's not trivial. And I think the easy believism is really dangerous for two reasons. One, it puts us in a bind. 
It puts us in a bind. Because if we, if we acknowledge that we're struggling in our faith, as a, as a believer, we're struggling with doubt. In that context that we've created, we, we now feel despair. We feel like we're uh, not a believer, right? We question our salvation. If I'm a Christian, how could I question this, right? How could I wrestle with this? We feel sort of ostracized because this idea of Christianity is you believe and everything works out, everything's great, and it's easy to believe, and everyone's happy and hopeful, and it's just this joyous thing all the time. So you, can, you, you, so, so if you acknowledge it, it's a struggle. But then, if you don't, you betray your own self because you know you're wrestling and struggling, right? You feel dishonest. You feel disingenuine. You're like, I'm a fake. I'm a phony. I go to church and I act like everything's great. I sing the hymns. But I know deep down I'm not sure if God's good. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if the promises are right. If it's, and, and there's this deep wrestling. So we don't know what to do. Abram's going to show us that there is a freedom to question, to wrestle. There's an honesty of faith that we need to know. The second reason it's dangerous is that it hurts our witness. It hurts our witness, our testimony. Uh, it's one of the major hindrances to the non-believing world. Um, when we present to the non-Christian world a cookie-cutter faith where everything works out, and we come to Jesus and then we're all happy and there's rainbows and life just turns out great, and everything's fine and we never question and we never doubt and we never rest. See, I say this. There's a, there is a true, there's a conversion point, right? We call it justification or regeneration. I'm not a believer. I come by faith to Christ. I'm regenerated. I'm a believer. But there are a lot of non-believers, doubters, that are on the verge of belief, right? They doubt, but they, they're, they're peeking over and they're looking at us. And we're over here and we're believers. We believe and yet many of us are doubting, right? And we're kind of, we're dragging back towards this point. And they're looking over the threshold. It's like, what's it like over there? If I come there, do I have to be fake and phony and smile and act like everything's okay? And they meet Abraham. They meet us. They meet Christians and say, you know what, I believe. It's like the, the prayer in, in, in Matthew, Jairus is, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's faith and the promises of God, and yet it's a hard-earned, wrestling, difficult faith. And when we pre- present faith in that way, in a biblical way, the non-believer says, you know what? I, I, I see where you are, and you believe in the midst of struggle. Maybe that can be true for me. Maybe I can step out and trust the Lord, and I don't have to have it all together. Abraham's going to present a faith that's wrestling. All the patriarchs do. Jacob does. Joseph does. Moses does. David does. Paul does. Peter does, right? It's a wrestling faith. There's freedom to complain with God. Uh, There are some guidelines of how to wrestle with God. A few words Abram says back to the text. Um, there's a way to argue with God in a healthy way. The first thing he says, uh, but Abraham said, oh Lord God. It's, uh, it's communication. He goes to God with his wrestling and his doubt. Um, he calls out, when I struggle with faith, I, I want to shun God. I want to be like, forget it, Right? I want to pull away and just sort of sulk and be mad and be angry. There's sort of this sense. That's not what Abram does. True faith doesn't do that. It takes the wrestling. It takes the doubt. And it goes to God. It's prayer. 
It's taking all the pain, all the difficulty, all the concern to God. That's the first, uh, first guideline. Go to God, not away from Him. The second one is that He acknowledges that He is God. But He says, oh, He says, Adonai Yahweh, Master Lord, or Master Sovereign, some translations say, or Lord God, some translations say. He's saying, I, I'm coming with all of this, but even as my coming to you with all my questions and all my problems and all my doubts, I'm acknowledging that there is a distinction between the Creator and the creature. You are the Lord. So he's bold with his complaint, and yet he's submissive in his language. He's coming with his questions to the Lord God. We, can't, we can come with our questions, our struggles. But he's still the sovereign Lord. The third guideline is that he addresses God based on God's own word, on his promises. That's important. He says, you haven't done what you said you would do. When you first called me from Ur to go down this great land of promise, you told me you were going to provide a son, an heir, and you haven't done that thing. It's it's actually, instead of being uh, disrespectful to God, it's actually saying, I'm honoring your word. When you've spoken, God, I take your word seriously. Your word says this, and you haven't done what your word has said. Do you see how he reasons? He didn't say, where's my, you know, where's my beach house on the Mediterranean? You know, <laughs> I, you haven't given me that yet. <laughs> right? He says, you promised the seed, the heir, and there's no child. And so I'm trying to find Eliza of Damascus to give my stuff to. Are you going to be faithful to your promise? See, we can argue with God. We can address God based on his promises. See, real faith says, Lord, you said you would do it. Unbelief is, unbelief is not that. Unbelief is curses. Unbelief is cynical. Unbelief says, God, I knew you wouldn't come through. It's, you're not faithful. You don't keep your word. A real faith says, I'm coming to you, but you haven't done what you said you would do. You, you, you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, and yet I feel so alone and so isolated, and, and, and the Holy Spirit's the comforter, but I don't feel any comfort right now. That's the language of the Psalms, right? Why? why? My soul is in anguish. Read Lamentations. I'm despairing. Or you say, God, you said you would provide all of our needs. I just lost my job. Or the the cupboard's bare. There's nothing to eat. I'm, I'm not making it here, God. How is this true to your promise? You said right there you wouldn't leave me as an orphan. You would meet my need. Where is it? That's arguing with God based on his word. I take your word serious. We can go to God with our complaints and our struggles, but we go to God in submission to God and realizing that we're asking him to be consistent to his word. There's an honesty to our faith. It's a good thing. We, we need honesty. We want to be a church that's honest in our wrestling with God. It's the first thing we learn about faith. There's an honesty of it. Second thing I want you to see is the sacramental nature of faith. The sacramental nature of faith. Abram gives his complaints, 
And the Lord says, and behold, verse 4, the word of God, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your, your heir, your own very son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. What does God do? I hear your, I hear your complaint. And he gives him a brief word of reassurance. It, it will not be this man. It will be your very own son. God's even reassurance is, is, is evidence that he receives the complaint. Do you see that? God doesn't rebuke him. He receives it. And he reassures him. He gives the word of promise. He reassures him. So promise at the beginning. Abraham complains. God reassures with the promise. But then notice what he does next. It's, it's uh, I, I, you know, having a son, I can, it, it feels this way. There's a sense of, he says, and the text says, uh, verse 5, and he brought him outside. <laughs> it's like, Aiden, come here. You put my arm around him, let's go outside. Why don't you go outside? And he says, uh, we, were, we were just recently on a, on a little river house for a night, and we were out there, it was dark. If you've been away from the city, or you've been in a national park, or, and there's no street light, and you look to the heavens, right? you look at the stars, we were stargazing, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's the beauty of camping. You look up, wow. It's not like our street city lights. Abraham, God says, God, imagine in, in that context, ancient Near East, there's no lights, it's pitch black. Look at the heavens. Look at them. Try to number them, he says, if you can. There's Orion, there, there's, the, there's the Big Dipper. Look, look at that cluster in the north sky. Just look at the stars, he says. So shall your offspring be. What's God doing there? What's he doing? He's not giving him any more information, right? Right? We've got enough sermons. He's not giving him more content, more data. He's showing him the promise. He's not pulling out more logic. Let me reason with you, Abram. Let me, let me reason with you. Let's go do some math. No. He's tapping into what? His imagination. Uh, maybe you've heard the quote, or it reminded me of it this week. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to gather wood, to divide the work, and to give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea, right? Teach him to dream. You say, well, what good is that? I mean, I mean, come on, let's get practical. This is very practical. What happens with our faith when we struggle, when our faith is struggling and unbelief creeps in, our, our, our soul gets small, you know? You know what I mean? Like our world gets small, and all we can see is where we are. I'm going to be in this job, mundane job, forever. I can't imagine a different way. I can't imagine it getting better. I, I'm going I'm to die in perpetual loneliness. I'm single. I hate being single. I'm going to be here forever. There's no option. There's no place. There's no world. I, I'm a first-year resident, right? And I have five years of this, and it's just going to be the same, and I'm going to struggle, and it's going to be awful every day, and I'm going to be in this box. And See, when you struggle with faith, your world gets small and your soul gets small. So you go outside and say, look at the stars. 
He doesn't, he doesn't lie. He's, it's, not, it's not logic anymore, right? You know, there, there are two hemispheres of the brain, right? You neuroscience people, right? There, he's, he's not working on linear you know, propositions, logic. Here it is. He, he, he's going abstract. He's painting a picture. He's telling a story. I want you to imagine, Abram, a whole different world. You can't see it now. You're old. Your wife's old. There's no child. But I want you to imagine a world where I'm sovereign and I'm a promise keeper and this is what it might be like for you. I call it the sacramental nature of faith because a sacrament is is a, a visible sign of an invisible reality. Abram's no promise. I don't see it. No kid. She's not pregnant. Nothing. (laughs) The stars are visible. And they point to something. They point to a spiritual reality that God is faithful. That he keeps his promise. The stars show up every single night. The sun rises every day. There is a sacramental nature to creation. God has given us his sacraments to remind us, to show us the gospel Week in and week out, because we hear enough of my words and Ryan's words, and we like we need to see it and taste it and touch it. And your faith is weak, and you can't imagine a different world. And so he brings it. It's not that the word of God or the promises of God is insufficient. It, the promise is sufficient, right? The preaching of the word is sufficient. It's that the 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 the. The word picture, it, it makes the promise visual, vi- visual, visible. It makes it real. It makes it vivid. It makes it tangible. And so God accommodates to us. Calvin says God stoops to us. He, he baby talks to us to demonstrate, to assist our faith. You know this is true in your own life. Um, my mom died a year and a half ago, and uh, there's a there's a song I listened to when she died. It's a friend, a friend of ours, is an artist in St. Louis, and she wrote. She had this this song, and uh, and every time I think about my mom and I'm grieving, I, I listen to this song. You have something like that, right? And I don't even know if it's that good of a music. I don't even know if it's that good. But when I listen to it, it, it connects to me in a way. It's just sort of like soothing, you know. Like I could hear a thousand words. But when I hear that song, it just sort of resonates, and there's a sense of peace and calm. There's this reality to it. God's given us, God's given us bread and wine to communicate uh, a, a visible sign for an invisible reality that what Christ has done on our behalf. He'd started with Abram. Third thing. Faith is honest. Uh, it's wrestling. There's a sacramental nature of, of faith. God takes us outside to see the stars, to show us the beauty of the gospel. Finally, there's the result of faith. Verse 6, it says this. So there's God's assuring word. There's Abram's question. There's God's reassuring word. And then God's uh, case study, object lesson, picture. And then there's faith says, uh, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Despite the struggle, despite no pregnancy, no heir, I hear, I see 
the gospel. I see the truth. And Abram believes God. He imagines a different world by faith. The, the verb tense indicates uh, ongoing belief, not a one and done, but there's a believing into God, believing the promise keeper, trusting God. Um, notice the uh, simple observation. It's been this dialogue between God, and the Lord, and, and Abram, right? Back and forth, and it stops in verse 6, this commentary. There's a narrator. It's, it's, it's Moses who's written this. So all this is taking place, and it's like, time out. Verse 6, Moses says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. It's the narrator's way of, of telling us the story. There's more behind the scenes to the story. It's a very, uh, this verse is, is five words in Hebrew, but it's the first use of the word belief, believe. It's the first use of this noun, righteousness, which is a big word in the Bible. It's the first use of this language of count or reckon or credited. All of those key phrases are used the first time right here. This thing is so important. And it's really the beginning, and that's why Abraham's the father of faith, because we see this language throughout the rest of the Bible. And this is the beginning of it. The narrative says um, that because of Abram's faith, Something was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he had to have something credited to him. He lacked something. He did not possess this thing called righteousness. And because he believed in God, God therefore gave him a credit. He, it's accounting. He counted him as righteous. What is this term, righteous? If you read the Old Testament... That language of righteous is used often. And think of Proverbs. There's two paths. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, right? Or read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. This is the way of righteous and this is the way of the wicked. And what they're saying is there's categories. It'd be like um, you tell a story to a kid and you say, who are the good characters? Who are the bad characters? Right? And oh, he's good and he's bad. But when we say that, Good and bad, righteous and wicked. In that sense, we don't mean morally perfect in every way, right? We're not saying the good characters are flawless, perfect, 100%. They've never done anything wrong. It's not what we mean by that. We mean they're in this trajectory, they're in this camp, and these people are in this camp. That's how it's normally used. That's not how it's used here. Here... So, so in that sense, it's all a matter of degrees or percentages or distinctions of goodness and badness, righteousness and unrighteousness. It's a, a spectrum. But here, it's a matter of status. It's a matter of justification. It's a matter of de declaration. Abram is credited with something, a giving a status change of something he did not possess before. He had not counted it in his favor, and now it is counted on his behalf. Which is hard to believe. How, how is that possible? I mean, Abram in Egypt, he lied and said his wife was his sister, right? We saw that in chapter 12. In a couple chapters, we're going to see he's going to take his maidservant and sleep with her to try to make the promise happen, right? Not real righteous, 
not down this vein of the righteous. It sounds more like the, the vein of the wicked. And yet here, somehow by faith, he gets married, he gets fused with God in such a way that he is counted as righteous. Where do we get that? Listen to these words in Romans 4. Are they up there? Romans 4. This is, this is uh, the same language. This is Paul. Uh, the unbelief did not cause him to waver concerning the promise of God. This is Abram. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Listen to this. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That would be those, the Roman Christians, and by extension, ours today of the church. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our right status, our righteousness is somehow contingent upon this person, Jesus. That something about Jesus' righteousness, his life, his death, his resurrection, somehow by our belief, somehow gets counted to us in the same way Abraham was counted. It gets counted to us as righteousness. It's the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. There is a substitution happening. Our sin is given to Him. There's a verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, probably the clearest verse in Scripture on this. Read this with me. For our sake, He made Him to be sin. The one that was not counted, the one that was not sinner, was therefore counted as sin. He was credited as sin. Jesus hung on the cross as sinner, counted to him as sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we who were unrighteous, who were sinner, might be counted and credited as righteousness. It's the great exchange of the gospel. Our sin upon him, his righteousness given to us. By faith. Abram's going to sin in the next chapter. But he is declared as righteous by faith. It's the gospel. Theologians call this an alien righteousness. In other words, I don't have within Ben enough goodness, righteousness to conjure up. And so I need something outside of me, the righteousness of Christ, to be imputed, to be given to me. It happens as I am infused by belief with Christ and I'm married to Christ. Now, all that God sees is Christ in me. The gospel. Credited. It's great theological talk, um, but does it have any import to our lives? I'm going to finish here with this. Um, some of y'all saw the, the Amber Geiger uh, case. You can't, it's hard to miss that on TV. Um, Botham Gene was a, a young man in his own apartment, and this police officer, Amber Geiger, went into the wrong apartment and shot and killed him. And um, some of y'all saw uh, the testimony this week. Botham's uh, brother, Brant, on the stand, uh, offered Geiger, the, the officer, offered her forgiveness. 
and said, you know, I, I, I want my brother want you to come to Christ. It was a very moving, moving scene. But did you see what the judge did? Did y'all see what the judge did? Did y'all see that? So the judge leaves, uh, leaves the courtroom. She goes back, but then she emerges out. She spoke to both of his family and consoled them and was gracious. And then she went to Amber Geiger, and she, she uh, this woman got 10 years in prison, you know, uh, you can argue the merits of that, but she goes to her and, um, and kneels down, and she gave her a Bible. It was her own personal Bible. She said, I have three or four of these. I want you to have my Bible. And she says, read this. Geiger stands up, and, and she hugs her. She, you know, the, the guilty's hugging the judge. It's this awkward scene. People are crying. And, and, and this, is what, this is what was said. It, you couldn't hear Geiger's words to the judge. You can't hear it. But, but it was something like, um, you're so kind, you're so generous, you're so good, you're, you're something. It's something like that it had to have been, because this is what the judge says to her. She's, she says, ma'am, it's not because I'm good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. Did you hear that? The judge said that to her. The guilty one, the wicked one. She says, uh, it's not because I'm good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. In other words, she said, um, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what, that's what she said. That's what she said. I'm not good. I, 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 hear you say, I, I hear you say I'm the judge and I'm good, but I'm saying to you, I don't possess goodness. I'm not righteous. I don't have it together. I don't have it. I don't own it, but I believe in Christ. And by believing in Christ, I have been given something. That I've been given goodness and righteousness and favor in Christ. And you say, well, Geiger meant that she's good in her behavior, right? It's, it's a her action, not her status. It's both. The, the only way, the only way we can live righteous lives and do righteous deeds is if we know that we don't have the righteousness. We, we don't have any righteousness. That none of us are worthy. That Abram's not worthy. But by believing, by trusting, by surrendering, by laying down and trusting in Christ... We are granted with the righteousness of Christ. And when we're granted with the righteousness of Christ, you know what we do? We walk in the way of righteousness. We begin to move this direction more than we move this direction. But it begins with a status, a declaration. That's the gospel. I hope, I hope you see from Abram that his faith is not all that different than ours. Um, uh, it's hard, it's a wrestle. A struggle. We, we need to know that true faith is one that has freedom to wrestle with God. It's honest. It's actually commendable. It's actually a witness to the world. Um, but we're not left with it because God's going to give us a sign. God's going to give us uh, an object lesson. God's going to give us weekly reminders. He gives it in creation. He gives it in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. He tells us, I'm going to stoop to you and I want you to see the gospel. But the most amazing thing, when we do believe, despite the struggle, we are counted. What makes us as a believer different than a non-believer? We have been credited with the righteousness of Christ. There's no arrogance. There's no self-righteousness. 
It's all of Christ for us. Would you trust him? Can you trust a God like that? He's good. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. It's, uh, it's a lot there. And uh, Lord, um, our faith is weak and our faith is frail. But you meet us. You meet us with, with grace. You meet us with leniency. You give us freedom to wrestle, to struggle. But God, may we believe. May we believe by faith. And as we do, God, we know in Christ that we are granted your righteousness by way of your Son. Lord, such good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.